What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Talks about hockey and, uh, for this episode, everything else that seems to be going on uh, in the world. I, of course, am Ben Goetz, one of your uh, Review Journal Golden Age beat writers. Joining me on the other line, as always, is my colleague, David Chain. Dave, how are you doing this fine hump day today? Uh, over the side effects from the booster shot, so... Ready to go. Hey, that's always good. That's winning. We are now <laughs> double boosted on this podcast, which is very exciting uh, and very uh, important to note because, uh, yeah, the whole hockey world and really the sports world in general has been very much reminded this week that unfortunately the pandemic is not over. And of course, we have to get to uh, a lot of that stuff going on. In the NHL, uh, also, we're going to, you know, try to talk about the actual on-ice stuff with the Golden Knights as well. So kind of, you know, one happy topic, one sad topic on this week's episode. Uh, but before we get to all that, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is brought to you by the Las Vegas Review Journal. We are presented uh, by Blue Wire. Make sure to check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. Actually, our output today is going to be basically similar to this podcast where we've got a hockey article up and we're going to have a kind of a more pandemic-y article up, uh, unfortunately, for those uh, that want to check both those out. We highly recommend uh, you do so. And also, if you guys could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, uh, please do this one. We would very much uh, appreciate it. But all right, let's start with at least... I don't know if I want to call it the good news, but the you know more pleasant topic first, which that, of course, is uh, the Golden Knights, uh, since we last talked, uh, remain on a roll. Uh, they've won five of six. They just beat the Boston Bruins last night as we're recording this, which was their first ever win at TD Garden. And uh, the reason they've been able to do that is their top line is, uh, to put it mildly, scorching hot. I am surprised the ice isn't melting the second their skates touch the ice. Uh, Max Pacioretty, seven-game goal streak, nine-game point streak, four straight multi-point games. Mark Stone, nine-game point streak, which, by the way, ties the franchise record, which he also now kind of co-has with Pacioretty and Alex Tuck. Uh, Chandler Stevenson, seven assists in his last six periods of hockey. That's nuts. Uh, He is also the first Knights player to have three-plus assists in consecutive games. Uh, that's all crazy. And it feels kind of appropriate that they are continuing this just huge romp over the competition uh, against Boston last night, which of course has one of the best lines in hockey. It's called the perfection line. Of course, it was not together because Brad Marchand was in the COVID protocols uh, last night. Uh, and now Patrice Bergeron actually was put in them this morning. So that's not great. But I mean, overall, uh, that night's top line has just been absolutely nuts, Dave. Uh, where do you even want to want to start with? Who who do you want to break down first in terms of the impact that this trio just happens to be having since they got put back together? I mean, it feels like we got to start with Patch already, right? I mean, just the numbers are pretty ludicrous, and uh, especially when you consider like all this. Like, we're going to talk about all of this, okay? And I like the listeners, so you got to keep it in mind, like 11 games like he's played all like all this is in 
11 games. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts. And like 11 games, nine of which came like after he broke a bone in his foot, which is like really funny uh, in hindsight to, you know, listen to Coach Pete DeBoer talk about. I mean, all these guys still included Dave, where he is very much Mr. I'm going to temper expectations as far down as I can so that, you know, people don't get upset uh, when, you know, Max Pacioretty potentially doesn't come back from a broken, broken foot and be awesome right away. Because and I think for most human beings, when you break a foot, it takes time to kind of work your way back into peak physical condition. Same with Mark Stone and what uh, he was dealing with, obviously, for many reasons. Uh, Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty are quite different than you or I or most human beings on the planet. And uh, for Pacioretty, it doesn't seem like breaking his foot has affected him uh, whatsoever. Uh, Since coming back uh, November 24th against the Predators, he is second in the NHL in points with 16. That's tied with John Tavares. Uh, He has 10 goals, which is second only behind Austin Matthews, who has uh, 18 points. Uh, Pat Reddy, as Dave mentioned, uh, in only 11 games, he has 12 goals on the season. He is more than a goal uh, per game. Uh, his 12 goals are tied for the 20th most in the NHL, despite the fact that he's missed 17 games. I mean, what is sticking out uh, to you, Dave, about just like, like, I don't even think it's fair to call it a hot streak at this point, because I just don't know, like... A hot streak is normal. This is not normal. What Max Pacioretty is doing right now. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few things that that jump out. I think most of all, you know, <laughs> probably, you know, anybody who watched the Canadians for a whole lot of years, and I have a friend who's a Canadians fan. Uh, shout out to her if she happens to be listening to this. But you know, Max Pacioretty was kind of, and Pete DeBoer talked about this. Like he was the guy who stayed on the perimeter and relied on his shot and. He wouldn't get really dirty and he wouldn't go to the hard areas and he wouldn't score goals the way that coaches probably preach for years and years and years for him to try to, you know, add to his game. I don't know what Pete DeBoer did or said or what clicked with Max Pacioretty and why sort of once he got to Vegas and especially once Pete DeBoer took over that Max Pacioretty seems much more willing and inclined to, you know, go to areas of the ice uh, where most of the goals are scored. And yeah, he's still not getting like, you know, tip-ins in the blue ice and stuff. But it, the, one, the goal that stands out to me last night was his second goal. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is something that he said after the game. And he made a comment about... How, so, so to begin with, he was asked sort of about, you know, anticipating Mark Stone, you know, creating transition opportunities. And one of the things that Max Pacioretty said, and this is something that I've always kind of, you know, cracked on him about or whatever. He said, it looks like you're poaching offense. So basically, he was like cherry picking. Like he took off. If you go and watch that goal, like he's nowhere in the screen. As soon as that puck turns over in the night zone, he's gone. He's like all the way up to the other blue line. But what happens is it opens up so much ice. And when the Knights carry it through the neutral zone and Stone drops it to him. And then Theodore, I think it's Theodore who drives to the net. Somebody drives that middle lane. Like Max Patrick doesn't settle. 
he takes it to the middle of the slot and fires a good shot. And it, you know, maybe should have got stopped. Maybe shouldn't have, you know, I don't know. But like, it it was just an example of, okay, if you're going to be cherry picking Max Pacioretty, you know, which he sort of was, and he even acknowledged, like, like I said, like you got to take it and then do something with it. And, And you can't just settle on the outside, you know? And that's the one thing I think, that's hard for guys to do later in their career. And I think it's a thing that, you know, his teammates and Pete DeBoer certainly has talked about this, that they respect, you know, the most about him is, is he's, he's added that to his game and he's not just settling and relying, you know, on his shot and his talent. And right now, you know, the results and, and the reward is coming for him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a lot of reward coming all at once right now for Max Pacioretty, but he's only uh, one person of what appears to be kind of a three-headed monster right now. Uh, So the second guy uh, I want to bring up was Stevenson. Uh, I already mentioned the assists and uh, the back-to-back awesome games after he uh, set up Friday's matchup with Philadelphia Flyers and uh it was for an emotional reason that he missed that game. It was his first game that he missed all season. That was because of the death of his grandmother. And he was very emotional um, talking about it after the game. If you want to kind of rewatch the press conference uh, he did, uh, the Knights usually posted on their Twitter feed. Uh, but overall, Stevenson has 29 points in 27 games, which uh, leads to the Knights and is tied for the uh, leave 16th most in the NHL. I might need to update that. Uh, Dave, you posted uh, the, this morning his 23 even strength points are ninth in the league, which is insane for a guy who uh, cost only a fifth round pick two years ago and $2.75 million annually against the cap. And the guys that are ahead of him in that even strength points list are basically the guys that you would expect to be there. Ovechkin, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Kaprizov. I mean, it is a who is who that are right above Stevenson, who just happens to be in the mix right there in that kind of top 10 in the NHL. Uh, You posted that uh, on Twitter this morning, Dave, which I thought was great. I mean, we've talked about this before because he was the guy that was staying in the lineup when Pacioretty and Stone were both out. And now he is a point-per-game guy that has had to shoulder uh, a little bit of the load without those two guys and now is continuing to do a lot of work with those two guys back in the lineup. Uh, why do you think he's hit even another level this season? Well, first off, let's give you some credit too, because you posted something similar uh, during the game about Stevenson. So got to make sure. He had another assist after that. Right. Right. You know, we're a team here. So, you know, we're working off each other, but uh, no, you know, I think one of the things that really stands out to me, I think there are certain guys in the NHL that after a few years, you you learn who you are and what you can do and what you can't do. And and I think once, especially once Chandler Stevenson got to Vegas and got, you know, into a little more of a, you know, a top six role, let's say, let's be fair. That's where he's at. I think I think a lot of what he's done is understanding his limitations and really, really playing to his strengths. His strengths are his speed and his strengths are using his line mates, you know, and not trying to be the guy who does, you know, too much. Now, all that being said, you go back and you think about the first goal 
last night against the Bruins and the way that he, you know, was able to protect the puck, hold on to it, you know, and then find a cross ice pass. Uh, I think it was Ben Hutton who then, you know, gave a nice little tee up to, uh, to Shea Theodore. Uh, I think if I have my, my players correct, but, but it was just, you know, it's, it's a subtle thing like that. Like it, it starts to play, like he's not the guy, he's not doing the Connor McDavid stuff. It's not like he transformed himself into, you know, some guy who's going to skate through everybody in this. It's, it's understanding like really who he is. And then look, like this is the other thing too. The, the line mates, we can't, we can't overlook that. And yes, he played extraordinarily well and was driving offense when, Patrick and Stone were out of the lineup. Long term, I'm not sure, you know, how well he would be able to sustain that. And I'm not going to just say it's entirely Stone and Pacioretty, but but what I will say is the combination of those three just seems to work extraordinarily well. It's it's kind of like I go back to the first year, the second line that the Knights had, James Neal. David Perron, Eric Howla. It worked for like kind of on ice chemistry reasons. You had the puck possessor along the wall. You had the speedy center driving the down the middle. And then you had the goal scoring finisher, right? James Neal was the finisher. Perron was the puck possessing guy. Eric Howla was the dude speed down the middle. It's constructed the exact same way, but everything is like, amped up a notch stone is better than Perron in, in that puck possessing along the wall role. Stevenson is, you know, maybe a little better, faster, uh, maybe a better playmaker than Eric Howell. Like I think about that pass that he threw to patch for their, for his first goal for that breakaway. Like, I mean, that was like threading the needle seeing I pass. And then, you know, obviously like patch is just a better finisher right now than James Neal ever was like, I mean, he, he's he's scoring at an elite rate. So a lot of it, I just think, is the way that they play off each other, the way that the system works, and then, you know, the way that Chandler Stevenson understands how to use his strength, you know, within that system that they're using. Right. And then it's funny because then, you know, we haven't even talked about Mark Stone and all Mark Stone has a – you know, really done is put up 21 points in 16 games. He's tied for second on the nights despite missing 12 games with an injury. Uh, what's nuts to me is uh, we talked about Stevenson's even strength points. Uh, Stone has 18 in 16 games. So he's more than a point per game guy. Uh, if you take the power play and penalty kill, just completely, completely out of the equation. Uh, the only other guys that are, you know, point per game, even strength Guys are more than a point per game. Even strength guys that have as many points as Stone are Alex Ovechkin and Timo Meyer. So you know, good, good company. Um, but you brought up the fact that they seem to work for team chemistry reasons or line chemistry reasons, and I would agree with that. But that does bring me to wrap up this topic, uh, and it's one that we don't need to have an answer to right away. But it is the uh, twenty-six point five million dollar question. I did do the math on this. Uh, is there any chance, if you're Pete DeBoer, that you're thinking about breaking this trio up when Jack Eichel is healthy with the way that they happen to be playing? I mean, if we're talking about this year, and, and let's just like assume that there's not major surgery that they have to do to fit Jack Eichel in, like they're going to have to do something in all likelihood. For me, no. 
for me right now, that Stevenson stone patch ready line is too good. Like just if, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. Like it's just simple. Like why even tinker with it? I mean, if you're Pete DeBoer, the only thing that you're doing is opening yourself up to criticism, you know, that that line doesn't work when you know the Stevenson combination works. So for me, when you're looking at trying to match up in the playoffs and having depth and you're trying to, you know, I'll use Pete DeBoer's word, integrate Jack Eichel into the group and you maybe want to do it a little slower and you're not trying to like put all the pressure on him of you got to be one. So you got to be the first line guy. You got to drive everything. Everything's got to run. Like, you know, let him run the power play from the flank, give him a line, you know, with a, a decent winger, let him drive it, you know, from the third line against mismatches and let the top six sort of do its thing the way that it's been going. Because if you're able to somehow like get Jack Eichel onto the roster and keep the top six intact, like one, congratulations to Andrew Lagerner and and the folks in the front office that they can do that. But, you know, for me, uh, I wouldn't even tinker. Get all the Nevada Preps high school sports coverage you need, plus all Southern Nevada team announcements powered by the Review Journal at NevadaPreps.com. Nevada Preps is sponsored by College Prospects of America, connecting student athletes with academic and athletic opportunities. Find out how at CPOA-Nevada.com. Yeah, it's ridiculous how effective they've been together. And I know people can dream of like, oh, well, Pacioretty, Eichel and Stone would be one of the best lines in hockey. Well, Pacioretty, Stevenson and Stone are already one of the best lines in hockey. I mean, I tweeted this out last night and I wrote about this uh, in the story that's going in uh, tomorrow's paper. We're recording this, but uh, Pacioretty, Stevenson, Stone have a better goals percentage the last three years then that Bruins top line of Marshan, Bergeron, and Pasternak, which is also called the quote-unquote perfection line, which is why the headline for my story that you can all read online right now is uh, better than perfection because their goals percentage is it's nuts how good they've been together. And it's going to be real interesting to watch Pete DeBoer potentially navigate this top six, as Dave mentions, whatever it, it ends up looking like once Eichel is actually going to hop into the lineup. Uh, and that looks, you know, we can transition into our next less fun topic because Eichel does tie into the Olympics. Uh, newly named Team USA general manager Bill Guerin mentioned he has not ruled out Eichel for the Olympics and he has talked to Eichel's agent, Pat Brisson, about Eichel's potential availability. He's obviously still recovering from the next surgery he had in November and getting back in time for the Olympics would be kind of right on the front end of when he could potentially come back. So it's still pretty up in the air whether that's actually realistic, Uh, just like it's kind of up in the air whether a lot of NHL players will be going to the Beijing Winter Games. Uh, And that is because uh, COVID-19 has really reared its ugly head in the league again, uh, 17 players were placed into uh, the COVID-19 protocol yesterday. According to the Canadian press, Joshua Clipperton. Uh, I feel like that number doubled just with the amount of players that went into the protocol for the Calgary Flames today. Uh, they obviously are dealing with a major outbreak there. Obviously, other uh, teams are dealing with this as well. The Knights, obviously, as we're recording this, we don't know if they're potentially dealing with it or not. But as I said, 
heading into yesterday's game against the Bruins. The Bruins placed two players into the COVID-19 protocol. They played the game. And then this morning, Patrice Bergeron also went into the uh, COVID protocol. So the Knights canceled their practice today, which is probably not necessarily a coincidence. So we'll have to see how they come out on the other side before tomorrow's game uh, against New Jersey. But this is a scary situation for the league as it's trying to get the season in without interruptions. Uh, Plus enhanced protocols went into uh, effect today, according to multiple reports, which is something that uh, Dave, you wrote about Uh, obviously not a great sign for the Olympics, not a great sign for how this season is going. Uh, Dave, after kind of delving into it, Where's your what are you kind of thinking about what's happens to be going around in the NHL currently? Well, I mean, it seems to just be everywhere. And I don't know if it's, you know, the new variant or whether it seems to be, you know, linked in terms of teams. I mean, like you've got a big thing in Calgary. And if I'm correct, like that's where Boston came from. And then Boston has two guys that go into the protocol march on after participating in the morning skate and then Bergeron after the game. So like what does seem to be, and I'm not going to, I don't, the hard part for me is I don't want to get into like, you know, the medical stuff here, but you know, what's odd or what feels off to me is it seems like there's these instances of guys that are out for an illness, non-COVID related. And then a couple of days later, all of a sudden they have COVID. It just seems like there's sort of this delay, uh, you know, uh, an incubation period, whatever you want to call it, you know, where things sort of seem to simmer. And then all of a sudden, a few days later, they pop up and a few days after that. So, you know, it's just, it, it's really hard it feels like to get a grip on this, obviously we're seeing, you know, the, the teams in the league go back to, you know, a lot of the protocols uh, that they had before, you know, basically players not being able to, you know, go out to restaurants on the road, uh, team meetings being, you know, done virtually, um, masks being worn in the facility, all those sorts of things. So, you know, clearly it's a concern. Clearly it's something that, you know, the league wants to, I think, you know, prevent any more postponements so that it, you know, doesn't affect the Olympics because, you know, the one thing that they did say from day one was that if the COVID situation, you know, necessitates, you know, remake, you know, games being made up, all that sort of stuff into February, that 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 would, I guess, supersede their Olympic participation right from the start. So, you know, it's a, it's a lot to monitor. It's a lot to watch here as, as you know, the next couple of weeks go go forward. Yeah, it feels like it's a really critical time for the NHL where things could, you know, potentially go one of two ways where hopefully they can at least rein it back in a little bit or this could get really out of hand. Like it definitely has in Calgary. And obviously not, they're not the only ones um, dealing with. I mean, as we're recording today, there's so many reports about how bad uh, things are in Cleveland with the Browns, who are uh, supposed to play the Raiders uh, this weekend. But uh, Baker Mayfield, among other uh, people on the Browns, have tested positive for COVID-19. So that's up in the air. So 
it's definitely, you know, a sports issue, not an NHL issue, but that's obviously the sport that we cover and we're focused on it. Um, and as you said, Dave, the big implications are obviously one, how much is it going to affect the season? Because you would expect, obviously there's going to be a lot of makeup games that now need to happen for Calgary and B you know, is it going to potentially lead the league to pull out of the Olympics? We just heard a couple days ago, um, Commissioner Gary Bettman was kind of like, no, we're not planning to kind of, you know, exercise our right to pull out because we negotiated in good faith with the players in the latest um, CBA negotiations that, hey, if they want to go to the Olympics, um, we technically have an opt out. But if they want to go, we're going to let them go because, you know, that was the deal we made and it's kind of going to be up to the players to decide their own destiny on this. If there's enough postponements, obviously maybe it gets taken back out of the players' hands, but even the players themselves, I think are not necessarily, you know, presenting as, you know, firm or united a front as we thought they might. Obviously as people listen to this podcast, know and follow our stuff. Uh, Gold Knights goaltender Robin Leonard has already pulled out are the Olympics of playing for um, Team Sweden. But I thought uh, it was really interesting even that uh, Alex Petrangelo, when you asked him about the Olympics, Dave, was pretty non-committal about, you know, like, hey, I need more information, what the kind of quarantine situation might be like, about what conditions might be like in Beijing. And he is a guy who was one of the first three guys named to the Canadian Olympic team. I mean, it was Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, and Alex Petrangelo. I believe, and Petrangelo is kind of raising his hand saying, I'm actually not sure if I want to go now, um, which, like I said, I, it was very significant to me that, you know, he was kind of willing to publicly waffle uh, a little bit. Um, you know, what did you think of, you know, his response, Dave, and, you know, the kind of likelihood of the Olympics having a bunch of NHL players in it? Now? Yeah, I thought it was pretty significant. I... I found it interesting that he seemed very prepared for the question, you know, like he had something to say. He he knew exactly where he stood and that was, he didn't know where he stands because the information just hasn't, you know, been made available to the players. And, and again, I think you, you alluded to this, like we were starting to hear some other players, you know, that would be in consideration or are even, you know, maybe even have been named. I don't know that, that they're expressing some of the similar concerns in terms of, you know, the quarantine. What would they be facing, you know, if they were to test positive in China and the government in China is then, you know, basically in charge of the situation. I think I heard something today. You can correct me if I'm wrong. This might have been like from a from an awful source and and. If it is, I apologize, but I think I saw something about the quarantine areas would be like three and four star hotels. So, you know, it's not like you're going to get sent off to some weird area and, you know, dumped in like a bunker somewhere while you, you know, are treated and recover and all that sort of stuff. But it does sound like there is going to be some pretty stringent, you know, restrictions or requirements you know, if there's a positive test or, you know, what it would take to end, you know, any of that quarantine stuff. Uh, there's a lot to 
consider. And, and for Alex Petrangelo, especially, it was family related. It was the first thing that he brought up. He has four kids under the age of, you know, three and a half, basically. And, you know, to be away that long, uh, it's just not, you know, not something that I think he's willing to do if that's the case. So, you know, I think at this point, everybody, you know, that that is under consideration or is involved is sort of in wait and see, you know, and waiting to hear, you know, more concrete you know, information, you know, from the, the Beijing Olympic Committee and probably from the IOC and some of those folks, you know, that are involved in all this in terms of what, you know, exactly would everything entail over there. And until they get those answers, I think everybody's going to sort of be on the fence and, and have doubt about, you know, making the trip over for, for some guys, you know, for let, let's just say somebody like a you know, an older guy, a Marc-Andre Fleury, who might be under consideration of Petrangelo, you know, like, you know, they, they've been, they've gone for somebody else that may be, you know, once in a lifetime thing. So everybody's going to be a little, you know, different in their perspective and their viewpoint on that. Right. I think that's kind of key to point out of like, I don't expect, you know, the players to all have one kind of unilateral opinion on this. Like you mentioned, like with Petrangelo, you know, he's got a family. He's been to an Olympics. Uh, he was there in Sochi in 2014, won a gold medal. He's kind of, for lack of a better phrase, kind of checked that box on his resume. So to me, it makes a lot of sense if he's like, I'm just not sure if it's worth it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if potentially Max Pacioretty, who's got obviously a big family and has been to an Olympics, might feel similarly but I'd be curious about guys like, you know, Mark Stone, Shea Theodore, who haven't been to an Olympics and, you know, what where's their heads at and all this stuff. There's a lot that's going to go on and there's still quite a bit of time before, you know, the NHL would have to potentially make the decision to pull out. I believe it's January 10th. And even then, you know, uh, I think it was Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly recently who said, like, that's not a hard date. There is some form of kind of financial penalty if they pull out after that date, but it's not, you know, significant enough where they wouldn't consider doing it if they thought it was the right thing to do. Um, But certainly, obviously the fact that uh, the COVID-19 situation just kind of in sports and in general and in the NHL is getting worse is obviously not a good sign for the Olympics, nor, you know, how this season potentially could uh, play out. So we'll have to obviously see, what ends up happening moving forward. There's still a lot of unanswered questions and we still frankly have to see how bad it's going to get on some of these teams. We'll have to see what turns up uh, in Boston potentially tomorrow. If their kind of spread stops, if anything happens to the Knights who just played Boston and of course are scheduled to play a game tomorrow. There's a lot up in the air, but uh, thank you guys so much for uh, listening to us and getting hopefully the latest information on all of that to continue to stay up to date make sure you're checking back to reviewjournal.com uh, this podcast of course brought to you by the las vegas review journal and you can find all our written stuff uh, there or in the physical paper if you care to pick one up uh, we are also presented by blue wire and if you guys could rate review subscribe whatever you do podcast please do this one we would very much appreciate it Uh, I'm Ben Goats. He's David Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast. We'll talk to you guys again real soon. Get all the 
the Nevada Preps high school sports coverage you need, plus all Southern Nevada team announcements powered by the Review Journal at NevadaPreps.com. Nevada Preps is sponsored by College Prospects of America, connecting student-athletes with academic and athletic opportunities. Find out how at CPOA-Nevada.com.